Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Level up, human. The comedy science podcast, souping up the Homo sapien. And welcome to Level Up Human, the show that looks at the human race and tries to figure out how we can make it better. We're taking suggestions from our panel, from our audience, and the natural world to work out exactly what the next stage in human evolution should be. We're putting together a to-do list for human evolution. We're taking our species back to the drawing board, but this time round we've highlighters and glitter pens. I'm your host Simon Watts, and today I'm joined by three piles of sentient stardust in the form of our guests. Judging if their ideas are worth incorporating into future editions of the species, on my immediate right is Zoe Lyons. You may well know Zoe from all over the TV and also all over the country as you're constantly touring. Have you got anything to plug at the minute, Zoe? Um, I, I'm going to be on a tour again at the end of the year. Um, not anywhere near Winchester, I'm afraid. So uh, absolutely pointless plugging it here. But to the listener at home, I'll be I'll be uh, from Scotland all the way down to ooh, Newcastle. I'll be covering <laughs> that's Scotland. Covering qu- quite a narrow band of the country. I couldn't think of anywhere else I'll be. But so um, it's a foreign tour. It's a it's going to be a foreign tour, and I'll probably need a passport by this time uh, in November, yeah. An increasingly foreign tour. Um, we, we're going to have some ideas pitched to you for the next stage of human evolution. What kind of thing would you like to hear? Well, um, we have just gone through quite um, an incredible period of time politically in this country, what with, with the EU referendum, etc. And I think I've witnessed, and we've all witnessed politically, some marvellous Machiavellian manoeuvres by, uh, by various uh, people in power. And I would like to see, um, I'd like to see things that would um, benefit humanity um, and maybe make us think about other people in a, in a kinder way <laughs> as opposed to stabbing people in the back or indeed face as, as some politicians have done <laughs> lately. So maybe something that makes us, I don't know, more yeah. compassionate. Not a hope. Not a hope, <laughs> I know. Not a hope in hell. But. So... You're going to get a chance to choose these ideas and pitching ideas to you for our next stage of humanity. On my immediate left, we have Maggie Alfonsi. (laughs) 
Now make sure I've got this right, Maggie, because I don't know anything about sport. You are an MBE and an English rugby union player who used to play as a flanker for the Saracens? That's pretty much correct, yes. And now you're spending most of your time telling people about how amazing sport is. Yeah, yeah, and how amazing I am. That's my, <laughs> that's my, my job at the moment, yeah. Insp- inspirational speaking, that's what I do a lot of, and sports commentating. Can you make me feel better about myself? Um, how long no you need for the deep and take a breath for that. Crikey. Well, you can see she's going to be of this interesting pitches from the world of sport. And also on the far left, we're joined by Dean Burnett. <laughs> Dean is a doctor of neuroscience, but he also moonlights as a comedy writer and stand-up. Uh, you may know him as the Guardian's resident blogger, Brain Flapper. Um, you've also got a book to plug. Yeah, go uh, on for it. Yeah, um, it's called The Idiot Brain. Uh, it's about all the things the brain does wrong. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm tired of talking about it as well, so um, it's going fine, but if you want, I, I probably wouldn't, but you know, I know what's in it, and my agent tells me I don't self-promote enough, so you know, now it's on the record that I don't. Um, we're also, of course, joined by the wonderful audience here at Winchester Discovery Centre as part of Winchester Science Festival. Give yourselves a big round of applause. So before we dive headlong into the future, Let's have a look at what's actually happening in science now. Each of our guests have brought along a news story to show you where our species is at currently. Uh, why don't we start with you, Maggie? What's grabbed your attention in the news? Um, so the first one is more around horses, though. So it still does have an impact yeah, on our human good. race. Um, it's basically a horse-wearable device. So um, as an athlete, we monitor um, athletes' you know, heart rate, um, conditions to prevent them from having injuries. So what they've found, obviously horses, unfortunately, um, get put down a lot when they do big horse racing. So wearing this device will prevent them uh, from, I guess, being put down. So you can assess their injuries, assess their heart rate, so you can monitor it like you do with a human, almost like a human sort of monitoring device. Um, but the, the horses will wear it underneath their saddle. The uh, so start, the trainer and the jockey can, can uh, review I th- it. I thought you were going to suggest a flak jacket. Like, that was actually the main tactic for surviving. <laughs> Keep them warm. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, but you know, like something, because this is a, an issue, isn't it? Horses yeah, it get is, shot yeah. all um, the time. So they, they say, you know, we have 14,000 sort of horse races, um, horses who are used for racing a year and 150 horses are put down each year wow. so that's a lot and and the reason why they're put down is more for the fact that they are um overtraining and it makes sense that if you monitor that then you can obviously stop it and prevent it like you do with an athlete if you see the overtraining you can hopefully try and prevent it reduce fatigue um, and allow them to be a better athlete so the same thing with the horses as well so that's the that's one of the the uh, news i've seen so far i was trying to do a quick um calculation there to work out how many lasagnas that is actually <laughs> so in terms of the ones that are put down so it's like a sat nag <laughs> would they wear them i wonder whether they wear them during the race because if it started to go off you know beep 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 beep, beep and, so they, and you were in first place as a jockey would you be going oh come on mate <laughs> keep going no, actually they whatever do whatever they're called nelly I don't they, know. Do, they do wear it during the race supposedly and it gives the the jockey an opportunity to just keep an eye on the mm. horse but really like you said you're in the mid flow of things uh you're not going to get a chance to really stop and go Oh, is my yeah. horse doing okay? But at least when the horses have been used to be trained, that's when it comes into to good use. And, and obviously, I'm a huge animal lover, so uh, what we can do to try and prevent horses being put down and being used for lasagna, the better. That's a good news story. What about you, Zoe? What's caught your eye? Um, this has caught my eye, and it's fascinated and frightened me in equal measure. 
Um, it's it's um, the story about a couple of super rich American technology gurus who are planning to undergo surgery to install experimental implants directly into their brains. Uh, I know. The idea being that they can then communicate with primitive artificial in, uh, intelligence. Um, and uh, the story came to light through. Um, there's a guy in the states who is actually he's called he's called Zoltan Istvan, which is brilliant, <laughs> and he's a transhumanist. It's brilliant. He sounds like he should be flying Star Trek um, <laughs> Enterprise, doesn't he? It's brilliant, Zoltan, um, and he's very much in favour of transhumanism, uh, improving the human being and the human body. Uh, to a point where actually it can defy death. That's where that's that's where he wants to get to using artificial intelligence. Um, he he actually stood um he stood for a, <laughs> put himself up for an election during the presidential election in the states this year. He was he put himself up. He disappeared rather quickly. <laughs> there were other clowns who kind of took the highlights the limelight away from him. Um, but he drove um, a bus around the states that was in the shape of a coffin. <laughs> no, I'm not making this up. Drove a bus around the states in the shape of a coffin uh, to sort of promote his idea that within 15 to 20 years they want to eradicate human illness and death by using artificial intelligence. Frightening. I don't know. Uh, well, also, what would you communicate with once you've been connected up? Just what your toaster? I don't know. <laughs> the telly. Facebook. I don't know. The two of you just sat there, both. I don't know, plugged into artificial intelligence, changing channel with your mind. I'm not. Am I literally at the point sure. though where any alternative to Trump sounds good? Like this yeah. person is yes. going to find viable. Possibly. You know, it's really worrying the fact that the guy who wants to, be, to become a robot and talk to artificial computers was not the most ridiculous candidate this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He sounded quite sensible in comparison, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah. But this is real. People are looking into this. This is fantastic, actually. Uh, can we do it by whip, actually? Who in our audience here at Winchester would be willing to be a pioneer and take some of these implants? Okay. And by depressed sounding whip, because this is more pessimistic, who wouldn't? <laughs> Definitely no. Because it's very experimental as well. It could go horribly wrong at this stage. Apparently, these two guys who, who are. Um, they're multimillionaires. They've got the money, but they're still struggling to find surgeons to 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 do the procedure for them because it's very risky. Don't, I mean, what do you do if you've? I don't know what you do to a human being that's had an implant put into it and it all goes horribly wrong. Do you just turn them off and turn them on again? I don't know. <laughs> Reboot human. Well, Windows anybody, ten. It's gonna be awful. <laughs> anybody who's like accidentally stood in Lego, sort of <laughs> already down that route in some kind of way. What about you, Dean? What's caught your eye? Uh, there's a new story going around uh, quite recently about a company which has claimed that they have an experimental new technique which can actually sort of reanimate or bring back to life uh, the brains of brain-dead patients. People in hospitals like, who are technically counted as brain-dead, but they still have the autonomic functions, like the heart's still working, the lungs still working. It's a muddy ethical area anyway because you know it's one of those bizarre medical boundaries of what counts as someone being dead or not. Like They're still biologically alive, but they have no brain activity. So that's always obviously quite a sort of controversial thing to get into. And this company is claiming they have revolutionary new techniques which could feasibly restart these people's brains and sort of bring them essentially back to life. It's three things sort of interest me about this. One is that if it is legitimate, if it isn't actually the case, it does open up a whole new world of treatments and sort of like biological improvements of, in line with what we're talking about. because. You know, things like concussion, things like general head injuries, these could be a lot more easily repaired. Wouldn't be such a bad thing. And anything, some sort of defect, even like mood disorders, could potentially be 
mm. treated with, with if this became sophisticated enough. And the second thing, as I said, if it's legitimate, that's a very big if because there's no real, they haven't published any evidence of this yet. They've got a few studies of very much smaller applications used elsewhere. So it could feasibly be a sort of, you know, a big pitch to give us lots of money, we'll do this. And then 10 years later, where, where, where are you guys? Sorry, no one's in. And <laughs> it happens a lot with you know, venture companies and stuff. But my main reason I want to bring this up is that I was asked to comment on this for a few publications like The Telegraph and a few others. And obviously my name has been popping up with this story, it does appear. And that's, as a result, I've got a lot of people asking me to comment on it again. And I've got quite a few emails I was saying, can I please uh, get your comment to this as you are an expert on reanimating the dead? <laughs> <laughs> I want to put it out on the record on this podcast, I am officially not a necromancer. <laughs> Or Frankenstein, I have no hunchback assistant, anything like that. We are this is, so yes. editing this to mess up your life. Yeah, that's, that is exactly what happens every time I try to defend my reputation in public. It just goes horribly wrong. So I thought I'd make the effort, and it's obviously going to backfire at some point. But if you have someone who has recently passed on, I cannot help you. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. If anyone's here for that... Some people, I know, get a bit carried away. So you're saying this isn't legitimate. Is there actually any legitimacy to these kind of things? There have been some sort of procedures like stem cells, laser regrowth, and things like that, which are interesting, potentially a lot of, you know, a lot of potential to them. But they made these claims, which I'm very skeptical about, because it's not just about sort of switching things back on. We're talking very damaged brains here. So even if you could create activity again, all the connections mm. have been damaged over time. There's been atrophy... So it's not just a question of just switching it back on. It's not just sitting there inert. All the connections in the brain, all the different sort of links between different areas, that is a big part of who we are. That's our identity. So you could resurrect this one, restart this person's brain, but they won't necessarily be the same person. They're now someone who's got a very damaged brain. So you could end up with someone who just like shuffles along and sort of groans a lot. And that isn't, you know, we've seen a lot of films where that, yeah. that's not good. What about memories and personality? Well, exactly. And all, all these things, things all are integral. Things. And that's not something they've made any sort of promise about. I mean, even if they could somehow reconnect bits of the brain, how do you know where they went originally? Unless you had a very, very detailed scan of the person's brain before the accident, which is yeah. rare, uh, you know, you don't have an idea of where to, where to put things. So you, you could just be creating a whole new person, which scientifically interesting, morally, not so good. Not that it stops us normally, but you know, in public, we, we try to frown on these things. So that's where we are right now. We're about to take a great leap into the great unknown. Our experts here have brought along uh, some pitches for what they'd like to see in the next stage of human evolution. Why don't we start with you this time, Maggie? Um, okay, so in terms of my pitch to improve the human race, um, this is more of a sports-specific pitch. So I think I would like to have a device that helps return balls back to athletes. So <laughs> currently we have Wimbledon happening right now and all those poor, you know, uh, ball boys and ball girls having to run around. I think we should free them up and have a, a device where the tennis player can wear it on their wrist or on their foot so the ball knows to come back to the server, the, the original server, and then we can free up all these school... Um, ball boys and ball girls to have a life instead of running around trying to chase all these balls. You're making this sound so much like it's slave labor. They, get it's all they don't the want to be there. Don't you not sit They don't want to be there. They've got all the squash and bananas they could ever want. Very true, very true. I see, why are they there? <laughs> yeah, what is the purpose behind this? Can you tell us why actually, why do ball boys exist and do they have to do that stupid thing where they stand up putting their hand in the air? Do they have to look so twee? <laughs> Well, um, surely the hope is that one of them gets hit by a ball and they make the six o'clock news. That's, <laughs> that's, you're in the limelight momentarily, aren't you? 
That's, yeah, I saw one being hit the other day and it made the whole three hours of watching Wimbledon worth it. <laughs> I was like, yes, finally, we've hit a ball boy. That's what I've been, that's what I've been waiting for. You get an extra point for that. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. So you were talking about intelligent balls, really, is what you're yes. saying here, mate. Yes, yes, yes that's what I'm thinking. Right. It's my next book, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, the audience laughed at that much more than they should have. I hope you're, <laughs> I hope you're proud of yourselves. But so, a lot of sport is involved... The premise of sport is to throw the, get the ball away from you. So... I, a malfunction in that department, you could, you could, it could go horribly wrong. Horribly but wrong. Can you imagine though? So when you think about tennis and you think about Wimbledon, yeah, they've got ball boys and ball girls. But at the lower grassroots level, you know, the reason why I didn't take up tennis is because I just didn't want to go and chase that tennis ball after <laughs> I hit it. So if you can introduce a tennis ball that comes back to you at that lower level, you know, we'll have more people playing tennis. You need maybe. a wall, Maggie. That's what you need. You need a wall. <laughs> You've seen the Great Escape. Is, is this, is this <laughs> aimed at lazy athletes? Because I can see a contradiction there. I tell you, yeah. it would be good. It would be good for kids who are playing in the back garden, and it goes over the fence into oh. the neighbours. Oh, yeah, so you no longer have garden. to have that awkward. Can I have my ball back, please? Yeah. You've also basically suggested that we turn tennis into squash. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So yeah. <laughs> that also is a good idea if you if, if you prefer squash. If you prefer squash, I'm indifferent to both. I have no I have no dog in this fight. <laughs> I think, I think if, it, if it makes people play more sport, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm all for it. If, it. if it if it gets people out there knowing that they're not to have to chase a ball then it's weird, but it, <laughs> it, it benefits society. That will not be the weirdest we hear tonight, if that's <laughs> what you're thinking. Could it work so for something other than balls? Does it have to be just balls? Or can you just, like, because sometimes I, I'm here, the remote's over there. I just like to... <laughs> or, so what, what, if, what if your lightsaber's just out of reach? Well, that, do you know, uh, that I, I know this is a weird thing to bring up, but Star no. Wars is effectively what you're suggesting. I know that in the new one that there is a kind of android, which is basically a powered ball. Is that a way, mm. way of putting it? Mm. So there, are, there is technology being not used out there, which is what I can only, because I don't know how it works, so I'm just going to explain it as if it's a sort of robot hamster, which is inside this bowl and does bring things back. So this technology you're talking about may one day actually exist. And you know, so it's an efficient way of getting around. It's, it's, or actually, tell you what, zorbing is great fun, <laughs> right? Have you done it? Yeah, it's amazing. Like, you, you know, it's, it's as amazing as it can be something which makes you want to vomit inside something. That, it, if you've ever seen one of these orbing things, for a start, they're see-through. You're in the middle of it. And if you do throw up, then you're just sort of swirling <laughs> in your own washing machine of vomit until you reach the bottom of the hill, you know. Um, but there might be a way to it. Sorry, boomerang balls. Boomerang balls. That's, is this I can see the marketing book, for that. It, well, it's a Tinder profile, isn't yeah. it, in some ways? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is this on the shortlist? What do you think, Zoe? Um, as far as improving humanity, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, am I allowed to keep it on the back burner for a while? Do I have to tell you now, Simon, or is it? No, no, it's no? nice. Sorry, okay. pressure's on. Okay. Because we've got plenty of audience suggestions coming as well. I'm going to keep it on. A, I'm going to keep it on the back burner and see what see see what else boomerangs this way. So. Um, so well done. You're on the shortlist already, Maggie. Dean, you're up. Uh, well, my suggestion is something derived from the world of nature, which is the world generally, I think. Uh, weird thing to say out loud. I just realised now how ridiculous that is. Sorry about that. Um, basically, a lot of studies I've read about in memory, like a lot of them, uh, sort of a lot of headway was made when they started using food storing birds, California scrub jays. It was quite a revolutionary experiment. And these are birds which obviously store their food in various caches for winter. We all know that sort of thing. People, birds bury their seeds and stuff. But then it sort of looked like you realize how weirdly impressive that is. I mean, these are birds which can store hundreds, sometimes over a thousand different food stores, seeds, nuts, wherever they are. 
and can then go and get them almost precisely four months later. Now, considering the average human will put their keys down <laughs> and then five seconds later have no idea where they are or forget where they parked their car. It's not, it's not a small thing, it's a car, like you know, an hour earlier on. And that sort of thing, I think, eats a, lot, eats a lot of time for humans. We spend a lot of time frustrated and wondering where our things are when we just had them. And I think if we could somehow incorporate this level of memory into our sort of a into our own, uh, to adopt like a, a sort of bird's memory, uh, we'd be better off as a species. Uh, they can also they also remember the time distance as well. Like they could recognize caches of food which spoils, like like crickets and worms. They can bury those, and they'll go to those first before the seeds they buried, which obviously don't have a as short a shelf life. So yeah, I'd like to be able to remember things like a bird. And um, <laughs> out loud, now that I say it, it doesn't sound that great, but <laughs> I think it has various applications. Like you would never, never again wonder, did I leave the oven on? There we are. Yes. Um, well, you, you, you're, um, yeah, you've got me thinking about this one because I, I, I have lost my car on several <laughs> occasions. An actual car, never mind the keys, an actual car. Because I, I don't have off street parking, so I have to park in various different roads around my house. And if you've got to do this, Sometimes you really forget where the car is. And I've had proper panic moments where I've stood in the street going, it's been stolen! It's been stolen! Oh, there it is. Um, so I'm very much for that. And also, I have got to that point in my life where I wander into rooms and then stand in the room well, you, you might and then be turn around and go out of the room and then wander back into the room. And There's a lot of suggestion that the way memory works has perhaps got to do with context. So that there's at least something mm. which would suggest that yeah. when you cross a threshold, mm. your brain kind of does a reset. Like mm -hmm. you're, mm. you're in a new context, so you've just forgotten. So if you're thinking about the thing that you came into the room for, by the time you get to the room, you're doomed. Mm. Right. That might be in, in it. Why is this, Dean? Why actually is our memory so rubbish? A lot of different reasons. Uh, short-term memory is really short. People forget that. It's, uh, people think short-term memory an hour ago, maybe yesterday. 30 seconds to a minute, that's short-term memory. Anything longer than that is officially a long-term memory now because it has been laid down on a neurological level. Um, so, but it, we, we have sort of, like you say, we've evolved to remember context and things. So it's the event itself and the things around it. So that's why it's really hard to remember little bits of information. Like when you're revising, like all these facts and numbers, they have no tangible presence. It's all just data and sort of abstract information. We've not really evolved to remember that. We remember like things that have happened to us. That's why I think you know, sort of remembering like, uh, what capital cities are, that's a bit trickier. Remembering the time you threw up off the Eiffel Tower, that's a lot more vivid than yeah. Uh, oh yeah, Paris. Oh yeah, I remember Paris. <laughs> Were you Zorbin as well? Uh, Zorbin. No, I, I don't like Zorbin. I, I don't like the way he treats Superman. Um, <laughs> what about remembering people's names? Because that's my downfall. Yeah, that's, that's... a big... That, that, um, basically, we, we've sort of got specific brain areas to remember faces. We seem to have that sort of yeah. evolved talent, because obviously people communicate by their faces a lot, and people's faces are very individual, very unique. Whereas someone's name is just a very short sound, which doesn't really tell you anything about the person. Like, for example, Tom, the name Tom, single syllable, three letters. You can name loads of different Toms, but you know, just the name Tom doesn't, doesn't tell you who they are, what they do. Yeah. And when you meet someone, uh, obviously you've got to process all this information at once. We can retain maybe four things in short-term memory. So you don't really meet someone and say, hello, my name is my name, and just stare at them for 30 seconds. Yeah. That's rude. That's considered impolite. <laughs> so that's why it's hard to remember. That's like everything else comes in afterwards. You can sort of get over that by rehearsing their name. But if you stare at someone and say, what's your name? Tom. Tom, 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 Tom. You will remember their name, but it's pointless. because But you'll never see them again because I think you're insane. 
What about what about associating their name with something visual in your mind, like that Tom, Tom that, that, with the big that's head? That's a memory <laughs> enhancement <laughs> technique. Yeah. You've got to be really careful. Tedious you, when old you meet man, them, so Tom. Yes, that would be sort of you know, yeah. Again, you don't want to talk to that guy because he's tedious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's like you know, weirdly, I, I, this is all stuff in my book. So this wasn't just me abstract thinking about stuff. This is all things I remembered. Birds. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm no David Attenborough, but birds, tiny little brain. Mm -hmm. So. Do they donate a larger part of that to memory then? Is that what's going on there? Possibly, yeah, but yeah. also birds... Like they're rubbish at Scrabble, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen um, uh, ravens and crows using tools? Look up on YouTube, mm. it's terrifying, but also brilliant. Yeah. They're incredibly smart, and uh, but smaller than us. Yeah. Maybe they're just better. They've nicknamed them feathered apes nowadays. That's happening quite a lot for the Caledonian crow in particular. Mm. Is that was sort of chimps as uh, furry birds. Furry <laughs> <laughs> I like that as a, I, you know, I, yeah. I, maybe that will eventually happen. Like, yeah. I've got a baby at the moment, and I, I keep looking at him and just kind of hoping that one day he'll pass a bird in terms of intelligence, because they do have these. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm optimistic yeah. for him. I really of, am. I'm glad you said in terms of intelligence, otherwise that's a trip to A&E, isn't it? <laughs> no, but... Passed a bird. <laughs> <laughs> what are you feeding him? Google it. What's that mean? <laughs> No, but it's, it's because they are terrific. These, mm. crows, these crows are incredible. Mm. And I know there's at least some... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Studies as to do with this sort of placement of, of place um, where they have been studying cab drivers in London. Yeah. And Maguire, the, um, they have a much larger, or relatively larger um, anterior hippocampus, which is the spatial memory. Bit. So they, they need the knowledge. What about to... salmon? What about salmon? Well, when they find their home again after being away for ages, and then they go and spawn. But that's genetic in their case. I think so, yeah. But oh, also, is it? Yeah, because Salmon's... they've never been to their home. That's one of the most incredible things. I didn't think that through. That was <laughs> true, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. But there's wow. a lot of animals we just don't know that the case of. The, um, the, the Gulf oil Mexico disaster thing was a great thing for research, kind of awful for everything else. Mm. But I know that they've dug up... All because I was I, I actually I was there for part of this. We were digging up 
um, eggs all along the east coast and burying them again on the west coast for turtles. And we're waiting for that experiment to pay off to see where will the turtles come back to lay their eggs again. Will it be a genetic memory thing and they'll do it in their, on the right-hand side? East? East, not right. <laughs> the, the east-hand side of, uh, of Florida. Or will they do it on the other side? Oh. They could benefit from some scrub J genes as well. Is, is this on the scrub? Is this on the short? This list is definitely too? on the short list because I can absolutely see how this would benefit me. And I know I mentioned at the start that I would like uh, for things to benefit um, society as a whole, but I'll have that one. Thank you. <laughs> as a test, can you tell us what a neuroscientist's name is? What's a, what's a neuroscientist's name? Him. Dean. Yeah, oh, yes. fine. You don't need it then. That was why we're doing this. Dean, I've passed. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, but I can't tell you where he stored his nuts. So. <laughs> well, as Michael Gove has told us that we're no longer fond of listening to experts, I'm sure you lot think you can do much, much better. So uh, at this point, we come to you. But if you've got any suggestions, please put up your hand. We'll get a microphone to you. Oh, that guy was straight up there. <laughs> Jonathan from Winchester, obviously. <laughs> um, so in the Olympics, as the years gone by, there's been many things introduced. And one of the main problems is drug use and more complicated drugs. And the other thing is prosthetics getting better and better. And some argument whether some prosthetics are better than others. Yeah. So my idea is the robot drug Olympics, where you can use all the robotics and drugs you want to make you the best in the world but you have to enter specifically in the Robot Drug Olympics. Well, Maggie, you're a sports person. <laughs> um, can you give them a good the answer Russians about losing the Russians have done that already, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, do, you, do robots need drugs, though? What would the, what would the drug for a robot be? To, to be honest, it's just you can spend your money on whatever technology you think will do best. So maybe it'll be drugs, maybe it'll be erotics, robotics, maybe... <laughs> that was that a would very work. Freudian slip <laughs> you just made there. Very Greek. <laughs> Do you know what? I have to admit, like when you were saying that, I, in my head I just had an image of a robot mainlining WD-40. I thought WD-40 as well. What else do robots need? <laughs> Let's say an example, if you really want to do shot put, you could put a cannon instead of an arm. Mm. <laughs> well, okay, this, this is a, a very pertinent question, because for a start we know that cheating is rife, so why don't we just give them their own Olympics? Uh, you know, and then we have the organic Olympics. Um, and furthermore, if we think of what we already do with F1, like there's lots of sports where the technology is the thing which separates the, the, the competitors. Why not? Would Actually, again, by audience whip, uh, whip if you would watch the doped Olympics. <laughs> um, whoop, if you think this is sick and wrong, we might get a microphone to you to ask why. <laughs> ah, when I, put that, when I put in that caveat, you changed your mind, didn't you? Maggie, tell us why it's sick and wrong, because it's kind of probably one of your jobs. You've got to defend the, the, uh, the status quo for this, surely. Yeah, so obviously this has been a big discussion at the moment around doping in sport, and um, obviously there's certain athletes who have been banned from the up-and-coming Olympics. Um, as an athlete, you work so, so hard, and I think the aim is to be the best that you can possibly be as an individual, as a person. And the thought of taking substances to make you better, um, to me, is is very negative um, and I think defeats the whole object of being an athlete and wanting to work hard and knowing what your potential capabilities can go to uh, in terms of limitations and you know excellence in terms of your abilities. I think, look, would I pay to see a doping Olympics? No, because <laughs> I'm an athlete and I have to say that. Um, no, I wouldn't pay to see a doping uh, Olympics. Look, I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's end of the day. What we want is fairness. We want you know, 
evenness. And I think as long as Olympics has that, that's the positive thing. Um, excuse the pun there. Um, but if you <laughs> start to have a, a doping Olympics, there's always going to be slight unevenness in the level of drugs that you take as well. I don't know. It'd be exciting to watch. I can't lie to you. I think it'd be quite entertaining, really. But um, as an athlete, I, it goes against my ethics. I can kind of get this. And um, I suppose this might be the thing, though. If, uh, if doping is rife and is a big problem, um, being pragmatic, surely... Yeah, you, you've, you've trained hard. You're trying to compete. You're trying to win to be the best you can be. But if you look at pretty much so much cycling you're being beaten by people who have done more than that. Do you not want them out of the sport, perhaps, to give it a... Would, it, would a two-tier of having both, like the, the Waitrose Organic Olympics or something, would that not be a... Would, his, would Jonathan's suggestion maybe not clean up sport because at least we're putting them all in one place? That's a very fair point. Um, I almost can't argue that. I think you're right. In the end of the day, as, a, as an athlete who doesn't take anything, you want them out of... The, the realm that you're in so I guess if that's a way of doing it then I guess so but you almost don't want to encourage doping because doping is obviously bad as well it can prevent or cause problems <laughs> it would be fun to watch though <laughs> I do wonder about this because I have to admit I've, I've, um, I've got a friend who's written a book called uh, Genetically Modified Athletes Andy Meyer I recommend reading it if you ever get a chance and he wrote the book entirely because whenever gene therapy stuff got into the news, there were people contacting him to see would it be possible. It's not possible. That's the <laughs> long and short. But people were interested. So some people who were fascinated by the idea, whether or not they're real sportsmen or not, is a different matter. Hello, sir. I just can't. Can you say your name as well, Chris? William. I just can't get away from the idea we're missing a big opportunity here. If you're going to have the, the robot drugs Olympics, imagine the sponsorship you could get from pharmaceutical <laughs> companies. <laughs> Who would, who would, actually, who would you, who, do you know what, we're so getting sued, I was about to say, who, who should sponsor? We didn't name any. Large <laughs> parts of Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's, tell you what, because, because the Olympics is the, is the pinnacle, why don't we rule this back a little bit? Who would be willing to take drugs and things to enhance their own sporting things? That we're not competing, or let's say, I know academic doping is increasingly happening with, say, academics taking Ritalin and things. Dean, as our man in academia, do you know anybody who's doing this stuff? Uh, Name and shame? Know no, anybody? Really. No. Should anyone want to, you know, I, I'll see you outside. I mean, I, <laughs> you hear me rattling as I walk. That's just coincidence. But um, <laughs> but also, I think you sort of, sort of have this, uh, this idea that drugs can just make you somehow better, like, instantly. But you've got to think that you still have to be in good shape. Like, if you're, like, a 30-stone computer programmer, you take some steroids, you're not going to be a champion body, body, bodybuilder the next day. You still have to do the work. You still have to do. It. We're still limited by the human form. So, you know, even if you do have a drug Olympics, you're still going to need people in tip-top shape to be able to, you know, because the drugs just don't do that. They but don't the, work that but way. But they right? must work some way because people are taking them. And yeah, but good it's, it's the people who are already in very good shape who take them for the extra edge. Yes. Just the edge alone isn't really enough. You just you get basically a very angry. 30 stone man sat there trying to lift a weight could, come on and that, that's not entertaining it was funny for a bit but <laughs> that's not going to be as entertaining as you think Hi I'm Colin I hey. just have a thought that it really depends on the risk that you perceive if you can take something to enhance your performance at a very low risk you're going to do it yeah, if you're going to take something that's got a chance of, of making you a cabbage for the rest of your life you'd think very seriously first 
That's a very good point. So I suppose this is going to be encouraging people to do risky things. Like yeah. chemicals are always. We don't have 100% safe drugs either. Like every one of these doping things isn't completely. You know, there are no fully safe drugs. They all have side effects, they all have consequences. They can be long term. So if you have your doping Olympics, odds are you won't see every athlete. You won't see any athlete more than once because they'll <laughs> burn out very quickly or become. Well, I think what Jonathan's suggesting is that people would go into that openly and knowingly just to see how far that they yeah. could possibly go. Can we add another caveat here then, Jonathan? Because I suppose, as you're, as you're saying, you mentioned the Paralympics there, where we are using tech to make people um, be able to perform in a way that they would not naturally be able to perform. But I know that there are laws and things within these things to make sure they can't perform better than they would have had they still got their leg, for instance. Um, that's, that's a huge grey area, surely, mm. because... If, you, if we're saying the natural is best, why not just give them wheels? You know, like at what stage? At what, like how much tech is too much tech, I suppose? Well, bear in mind, Robot Wars exists. And <laughs> it's fine, but it's not, it's not like oh, the international sensation smash. It's not like people aren't crowding around the telly to watch. It's fine, but it's not like the most popular thing. Okay, is that on the uh, short list then, Zoe? I think, personally, Jonathan, <laughs> I would thoroughly be entertained and would definitely <laughs> tune in just to see how far people would go but I think I think ethically we'd have to decline that one unfortunately but maybe come around my house and we can watch it together <laughs> <laughs> sorry another. Jonathan <laughs> alright then who's next any other suggestions for the count hi my name's Faye um, talking of bladders <laughs> I was thinking of if we could have an implant that took the alcohol out of alcoholic drinks so you didn't get drunk and you just pass the alcohol through into your bladder and out when you pee. You could uh, stay drinking all night without getting any side effects and uh, you'd end up with some antifreeze in the morning. <laughs> Before we get to our panel suggestions, there's a guy whose face in front of you is so affronted by your suggestion that we're definitely, <laughs> we're definitely coming to you, sir. <laughs> Pre prepare yourself. What do you think, panel? Um, well, obviously, the option exists to, to not drink alcohol. That, that is... <laughs> that's one. But I, I think I know I mean the social pressure to drink, or say if you suddenly find out you've got to drive, or mm. then you, you, can, you can sort of basically separate it and then not get drunk, but still in... Well, I say still enjoy a night out, but I mean, if you try to lager that alcohol, there's not really much point to it. It's, it's a tedious yeah. experience. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can sort of see a range of scenarios where that would be useful, but I don't I'm not sure it would be sort of like a general well, helpful thing. You see, I like wine, and uh, why did somebody laugh at that? Don't say as if it's too so obvious. Good. I like a lot of wine, <laughs> um, and the thing is, alcohol-free wine just does not taste like it. Mm. It's nasty, and sometimes you just really want to enjoy the flavour of mm. a wine that accompanies the food that you're perhaps eating with it rather well. So I can see where this. You, I could see and. The idea of being able to defrost your windscreen on a winter's morning, having used your expelled wine, is, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting re recycling thought. Because I, I get that, because yeah. alcohol, you're right, Dean, alcohol-free beer tastes yeah. so nasty. Yeah. Um, just, you better just not to have it. The whole anti-free thing, do you have to remove it first, or do you have to, like, squat over your windscreen? Because <laughs> <laughs> that... Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that, that would technically work anyway, I suppose. If you want to be really, can, can we ask you, it. like, why really? Because you know, have you got to that point where you've opened a box and you thought it was so tasty that you have to keep going? But well, why do you want rid of the alcohol so much? 
Well, there's, there's all this um, thing about uh, you can only drink so many units before you mustn't drive. You can only drink so many units in a day before it becomes unhealthy. If you could have an implant that would sort of check your limits and go, right, everything else from now on, the alcohol is not going to ah, get your body. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the important bit. It's, it's it from now on. So you can get to a merry. So. Yes. Yeah. You, you might even be able to have like your own little uh, yeah. adjustment by my remote control. You just say, I want to get this merry tonight. Yeah. Uh, or I actually well, want to get gladded, so I'm turning it off for the evening. Yeah, because are there apps, actually? I know there are all sorts of things trying to alter our behavior towards this. I suppose what would make this even special is that, okay, if you've got your special alcohol compartment, and then you can drink it again later at your convenience. <laughs> or, you know, just have it filtering back into your bloodstream so there's a set level of merry. You know, you can get I love you drunk, but not I hate you drunk, that kind of thing. I'm loving it. <laughs> I think it's great. Set your own phaser. That's great. Set phaser to stun. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because sometimes, because I mean, how many people here go, I'm not drinking tonight, and then you have about four. Um, that happens, doesn't it? It's just, you think, I'm not, I'm not going to have a drink tonight. And then there is that pressure to have a drink. And so um, I'm, I'm liking it, Faye. You say that pressure. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm teetotaler, which is like, I think, the only teetotal Irishman. So I'm kind of like the designated driver for an island. <laughs> and it, it really isn't, isn't useful. But you're, there's, a, there's a social thing. I remember an old girlfriend of mine once got hammered on the expectation I would take advantage of her and then was sorely disappointed that I didn't. There's so much of our society which is programmed around drinking, I guess. So maybe it is important. Also see a potential either use or abuse of this in that if you have teenage children, so you're going out tonight, are you? I'm just turn it down. <laughs> Don't drink anything. <laughs> you know, parental controls are still a thing. And that's, um, you know, that, but also that denies autonomy. I'm not sure how, how well that would go down. All right then. So, could you, what was your name? I misheard it. Faye. Faye, right. So, Faye's suggestion of alcohol monitoring organs. That's Definitely it? on my shortlist. All right, <laughs> then. Give Faye a huge round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, sir. My name is Finkel Kell, and I would suggest really, really thick skin. <laughs> <laughs> what have people called you? <laughs> what? You know the idea of being, why thick skin? Why do you want thick skin? Tell us more. Because um, then we can't get cuts, bruises. Well, we might get bruises, but we wouldn't feel them. Hmm. Well, panel. Yeah, why, why, uh, why would thick skin be useful or not useful? Well, we do have different thicknesses of skin all across our body. So obviously the skin in your scalp is very thin and sensitive. The skin in your feet extremely thick. So we, we do have that. That is obviously the human body has scope to produce different thicknesses of skin. And it's more to do with the, the nervous innervation of the skin, which is what makes it more sensitive. So like the thorax and like the chest and back area, they are quite poorly innervated, so not really sensitive. Whereas your fingertips and your lips and your tongue, they're extremely innervated, so you can detect really fine movements and a stimulus there. So um, I'm not disagreeing or agreeing, I'm just showing off what I know. So, <laughs> just saying, it's a thing. It actually, you know, it, this it this be is the difficult. basis of those like homunculus drawings that you see, mm, isn't it? Yeah. Different parts of the brain of much I'm just thinking, Maggie, as, a, as like a rugby player, surely having thick skin you'd find really, really useful. Uh, I found it incredibly useful because uh, at the end of a game, you always come away with scars, bruises, cuts, you name it. And uh, I think having thick skin would help. At the same time, it would also make you incredibly hot uh, mm. because you've, you, I guess I'm assuming in terms of science, you, you're not unable to release the heat from the, the, from the skin. No, no. So I'm assuming as well that would probably affect an athlete to an extent, but would definitely protect them from the cuts and 
skulls and so on. Of course, also, there's no limit to how thick it can get. We, we, we're talking, we can get to bulletproof levels here. I mean, that would be, be handy for combat and various other things. But you're going to have to be proportionally large. Like, oh, we're yeah. going to spot cops from a mile away because they're just kind of cubes of flesh. Is that what we tell? They are now with all the Kevlar stuff, so yeah, might Maybe. as well. I do wonder, because it was a whole, it's, it's now a defunct term that they no longer use, but they used to call elephants and hippos pachyderms, which meant the thick, thick-skinned creatures. So there are plenty of species out there that do have thick skin. We've got a proof of principle if we wanted it. What happened with winkles? I mean, do they, do they not, are they not as present, or are they actually far more present because they're just huge Crapaces. folds just yeah. coming down over your... I've never seen a smooth elephant. Why is this happening? <laughs> when you first said it, I thought you meant um, thick skin as in sort of... Um, resistant to the comments of strangers. I quite <laughs> like the idea of being entirely thick-skinned, as in not caring what people say about you. I think yeah. that would be really, this, really good for people. This is a kind of measure you're suggesting, Finn, which will not protect you from Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, I c- it can mean that as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it for that, Finn. I like that. So is this in, Zoe? It's in. Thank it's you. In, Give him a big round of applause. And okay, ladies and gents, we are nearly out of time. So before we get you to decide, Zoe, I'm going to give you one final suggestion. This one is coming all the way from Mother Nature herself. We call this Splice of Life. Uh, what would you like to steal from this creature? Uh, um, Zoe, could you please describe that to our listeners at home? I can describe it, and I can tell you exactly what it is as well. Oh, even better. It's a, that's a cassowary. Um, and I've seen one in the wild in um, Queensland, Australia. It's a giant flightless bird with a blue face. And I thought I was drunk when I saw it <laughs> because I'd never seen a picture of one before. And a huge male cassowary ran out in front of my car and I had to stop and say to the person I was with, going, tell me you saw that as well. <laughs> Please tell me you saw that. It has, um, it's, it's, it's got a what I think is like a, its skull bone grows out the top of its head to it's make sort cast. of like a horn. Yeah. Um, it's got like horrible red giblets down the front. <laughs> I don't know what the actual term for those are. And incredibly big feet, which it uses in a defensive and aggressive way to... You've got to be very careful around a cassowary because it can kick you in the sternum and kill you. That's what I found out afterwards. Exactly right. Yeah. There's a reason I'm sharing this with you because it is arguably the most lethal bird in the world if you get rid of things like bird flu. Um, we used to say that it, it, was a, it was pretty much a walking velociraptor. It's got so much convergent evolution with velociraptors that you know, it's got a claw in the same way. So we used to say there was a feathered velociraptor, and of course now science has gone and ruined that by making velociraptors feathered. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what you're looking at is kind of a dapper velociraptor, I mm. think. So uh, yeah, if we're going to steal anything from this, I was going to suggest it's incredible switchblade that it has occasionally used to kill people even. Yeah. Yeah, that all the bony head is brilliant because you could just you can just bash. When I saw this cassowary in Australia, it stopped, looked at me. I looked at it obviously like that. Oh my God, God, what am I looking at? It's a Smurf bird and um, <laughs> this blue face. And then it just went through the through the bushes using its horny head just to get stuff out of the way. I was like, that is a handy piece of uh, kit it's got going That's on. That's why they think we have it. Is it's a it's a means of parting like um, foliage, I yeah. guess. So as it charges headlong in. What would you guys nick from this? Does that sound like a good one? Switchblade and a dagger well, I, I thought <coughs> the, the concept of this whole thing was how do we improve humans? So like give them much more efficient ways to kill. That, uh, <laughs> that seems incongruous with the setup. But uh, I don't know. It might be nice to have a blue face. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought it's that. It's a very brilliant blue as well, yeah, isn't it? I I've often a... thought that because you see, like a lot of people have false tans, like which is a, quite a common thing. It's mm -hmm. got the point now where they actually, you know, people are orange a lot mm -hmm. of the time, and that's not a natural color. You look and think that is not. That's, you know, humans don't go that color, not naturally. Mm. But if you if you're willing to accept that people come walking around just being orange, why do we have to stop with orange? Mm. You can just have the full sort of you know, um, you know, you can have a full rainbow suite of colors for false tans, and this is this would be another one. Smith. It's a bit braveheart, actually, isn't it? A bit brave, right? Yeah. So hold on, is that in? Do you want the switchblade? Switchblade in. That's um. Well, you've um, you've made your life hard then, so you've got so much to switch to I, choose from. I here. know. Such an amazing looking bird, isn't it? <laughs> it's incredible. So. Okay, this is where it gets tough for you. You uh, did put Maggie's suggestion of boomerang balls onto the shortlist. Mm -hmm. You've got to choose between that or Dean's suggestion of being able to uh, be bird-brained but find what you're looking for. Um, Jonathan's idea is out. Sorry, Jonathan. Then you fair suggestions of an alco-monitoring organ. Yeah. Finn's idea of a thick skin, both metaphorically and physically. And finally, the cassowary's incredible abilities. <laughs> That's a lot to choose from. It is the 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 pitch that it, that struck with me, I think, um, most is probably Dean's with the bird memory, because I can absolutely see how myself and everybody else on the planet could benefit from that. For one, I wouldn't have my mum going, "Can't find me purse," um, <laughs> uh, twelve times a day. Um, I. Human memory is so much in the news at the moment as well, without you know awareness about dementia and all of those things occurring and, and brain injury, et cetera, et cetera, that I think if we could sharpen up our brains and remember, it would just save us a lot of time, wouldn't it? Just knowing exactly where the car is, exactly where the keys are and who you married. You know, it's just... <laughs> it just cut out a lot of time and therefore would increase productivity and enhance humanity. Actually, so for yeah. that reason... That's a good Dean's question. Dean, do we get to keep a selective memory as part of this? It's your yeah, choice. sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> really, I've forgotten what I'd said, so yeah, <laughs> if you like. Okay, so we're going to take that idea and use it to darn the holes in the middle of life's rich tapestry. Before we go off, I'd love you to give a huge round of applause to our various guests. We've had Zoe Lyons, we've had Maggie Alfonsi, and we've had Dean Burnett, and the wonderful audience here at Winchester Science Festival. I've been Simon Watt, this has been Level Up Human. Thank you and good night. was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Wellcome Trust. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.